We're talking about our story, the elements that make a, a great story. You just heard some references to that. Um, and the same things that happen in a movie story, the reason we gravitate towards certain movies or we have certain emotions is because there's something in it that resonates with our own personal story. Um, and at SunWest, we have a story, a corporate story, that uh, some of you have been a part of for a long time and some of you um, who have just come for a couple of weeks or it's your first time, uh, this is a new part of your story. But collectively, we have a story that we're a part of. Individually, you have a story. You know, the things in your past, both your highlights, your lowlights, uh, they've all shaped uh, who you've become. They speak to your values. They, they speak to your dreams. Uh, and so in this series, we've, we've been trying to look back and say corporately, you know, it's true of us individually. It's also true of us corporately. Uh, what are the elements that make us who we are? What's, what, what parts of our story actually have helped us become who we are? And what does that mean for our future? So we are uh, reading the past and writing the future. SunWest was planted almost 25 years ago. Uh, in 1995, uh, anybody born after 1995? Wow, okay. So planted before you were born. That's, that's crazy. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so SunWest was planted by Willie and Gwen Reimer. There they are, cute-looking cute couple. Uh, we, 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 went, we found some old scrapbooks with like hundreds of photos uh, last week, and uh, that was Willie and Gwen back in 95, and here's a really trendy graphic we came up with, uh, and we were meeting there in Mid-Sun Community Center, uh, and I think uh, here's uh, some folks that got baptized one Sunday, and there's a few familiar faces in there. I think Eric, Eric Unruh, uh, that's that skinny guy in the white shirt. Eric, where are you? Are you here? Stand up. Not so skinny anymore. Uh, I, you beefed out a little bit, but... Uh, and uh, there's our very own Tracy Hansen. Where's Tracy? Hey, you don't look a day older than you did in that picture. Here's a, here's a newspaper write-up, uh, or a handout, sorry, that went, went uh, door to door. And this is what it said at the bottom. So, uh, you know, there's your, the three staff that were there at the time, Willie, Wayne, and Dan. Um, it says there at the bottom, where an hour can make a difference the whole week long, where you can dress the way you want, where a live band plays music that's in time with today, uh, where the Bible meets real life issues, where the pastor speaks your language, where you're never pressured to say, sign, or give anything, where the children receive special treatment, where people are genuine and caring. And so those are values, value statements that were kind of put out to the community um, 25 or I guess a little less than that, but over 20 years ago. Uh, and and I, I read those things today, and I think that's, that speaks beautifully to the type of church, the type of community that we would uh, want to be still today. Uh, our history defines who we are. And so if you're just joining us, um, or you've missed the last couple of weeks, you, you might, I'm going to run through a lot of information here at the beginning, and it's just a bit, bit of a review from the last few weeks, okay? So uh, I've talked about there's three different parts to our, our DNA as a church. We have the evangelical, charismatic, and Anabaptist parts of our DNA that make us who we are. And those are really big words, and what do they even mean? Uh, you can go back and listen to the sermons online if you want a further breakdown. But really briefly, uh, the word evangelical, it gets a lot of bad press these days because if you Google evangelical, you'll get pictures like this. It's associated more with politics, 
more with Donald Trump, more with, uh, you know, lots of stuff that really has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus and the church. Uh, and so there's a part of me that, like, I don't even like using this word because of the connotations where people might think about the word when they hear it. Uh, but really, simply, the word evangelical comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. And so the, the, the Bible talks about the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Uh, the, the word gospel means good news. This is the word that we get the word evangelism from. And so at a base level, to be evangelical just means to proclaim, it's a proclamation word, the good news about Jesus, the good news about who God is, the good news about what God has done. And so at the very beginning of SunWest, in our foundation, in our DNA, was that people would know the good news of Jesus. That God came to earth in the form of a human, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, was raised to life. Uh, on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrated Easter, came to life, and that shows that he's conquered death and invites everybody to experience life in him. That's the good news of Jesus. Uh, and so that's who we are. Uh, we're also charismatic, and that gets another group of people uh, concerned. What does that even mean? And so uh, charismatic speaks to uh, the Holy Spirit. So the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit and, and the word that is used, uh, the Greek word that is used for spirit in, in the New Testament is pneuma, and the Old Testament in Hebrew is ruach, and they both mean the same thing, spirit, breath, wind, that God's spirit, that his life, breath, uh, is actually breathed into creation, is breathed into you, uh, you and I, and it makes us alive. So a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this, we, we talked about the word life. And here Jesus saying in John 10, the thief's, purpose, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. Now the word life there is the word zoe, um, and it's not the word bios. And bios is where we get the word biology from. Every one of you is breathing in this room. You're all alive. Uh, congratulations. You're surviving. But you and I both know that there's times in our life where we're surviving and we're not thriving. And the good news of Jesus is actually to invite us to experience full life, not just survival life, not just bios, not just biologically, but to experience zoe life, to experience thriving life. And that's the word that Jesus uses here, that my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying zoe, rich and satisfying full life the one that we were intended to live, the one that we were created to live, a life full of meaning and purpose. So God created you for a purpose, and he wants to breathe his life into you and, and help you be about the purposes that he created you for. And so that's what it means uh, to be charismatic. That, that means the, the gift of God's spirit to us, to be fully alive. And then we talked about the word Anabaptist, uh, which is another big word, um, and so if you've heard of Mennonites, Hutterites, uh, you know, we, we referenced that group. And they, they came from an Anabaptist movement in the 16th century. And another word that has a whole bunch of weird connotations that you might have, you might think of something like this when you think of Anabaptism. Or Mennonites. Or Hutterites. You know, people that, you know, wear maybe some old school clothing, eat a lot of beige, fatty food. We see our youth pastor, Colton, there. He looks, he looks the part. 
You know, and I, and I found out last week that you see the office picture there with uh, Dwight's brother, Mose. Uh, he doesn't have a mustache. I learned this last week uh, that, uh, you know, you've seen, seen the guys that just have the beards without the mustaches, right? Do uh, You know, they, they shave their mustaches because uh, other guys in the community felt jealous of other guys' mustaches. And so they wanted to level the playing field, get rid of jealousy and coveting each other's mustaches. And so they shaved the mustache, so there's just the beard left. So uh, if some of you are jealous of my, just let me know, I'll, I can shave it off. Uh, I did make fun of Colton a little bit last week, and I, I put his face in, the, in that face app, and I saw what, what would Colton look like as like an old bearded man, and uh, he's looking kind of the, the Mennonite part there. And I thought that wasn't quite fair. I, I got to throw my face in the mix too, and so... Here's what I look like in a, say, who wore it best, you know, anybody for me, you know, who's the more, uh, but what, what does it actually mean to be Anabaptist? You know, it's a movement in the 16th century, that's where the Mennonites, Hutterites, all those people came from, but that obviously doesn't really indicate what we're about today, uh, but if you go back in time, the whole reason that movement started was because they were concerned about what would Jesus do? How would Jesus live? They, they took this seriously. The things that Jesus was about, they wanted to be about. The actions that Jesus did, they wanted to do. They believed that Jesus taught things not just for us to believe the right things intellectually, but for us to actually act out the things of Jesus. That God was bringing his kingdom to earth, and that mean, that, that affected our behavior. And so sometimes we think that that Christian faith or following Jesus is about believing the right things. It's actually less about believing all the right things and more about behaving in a way that is Christ-like, in the way that God created us uh, to live. And so depending on your history, depending on your kind of faith background, these words might be brand new to you and you don't know what they mean. Uh, You might come from a church background that emphasizes one more than the other. And, uh, but every circle has a shadow side. On the evangelical side, there's a danger of people speaking and proclaiming things that they're not living, which is what we refer to as hypocrisy. And if you've experienced hypocrisy in your life, uh, part of that is just what happens when people are always becoming somebody who they're not yet. You know, God has a desire for us to be a certain type of people. We're all in the process. We're all in a journey. And sometimes that gap is wider than others, and we experience hypocrisy, Maybe we have been hypocrites. Maybe people have been hypocrites to us. But that's the danger in the evangelical circle is to start proclaiming and saying things that aren't quite in line with the way that we're living. There's a danger in the charismatic circle of uh, pursuing experiences without character transformation. We're just going from the next service to the next service, um, looking for God's spirit to uh, to give me certain experiences, but we're not actually concerned about transformation or what God is doing in the world. There's a danger on the Anabaptism side of focusing on action and service and forgetting about the motive or the message or the reason that we're doing all these acts of service in the first place. And so I believe that God is calling us as a church to be holistic, to actually... Uh, come together with different strengths of each of these parts of our DNA. 
that we would be an evangelical, charismatic, Anabaptist community that is, uh, has a conviction on the good news of Jesus, and we proclaim that Jesus is king and that he's transforming us in this world, uh, that, that we believe in the, the Holy Spirit, that God sent his spirit to transform us, and that it wasn't just for our sake, but it was also for the sake of the world, and that's the Anabaptist piece. So that's a little bit of a review from the last three weeks. If you missed church, there you go. Uh, check. So what does this mean for today? This is what I want to talk a bit about this morning. A year and a half ago, we did a sermon series called The Church I See, which was a 1,589-word mission statement, and it breaks all of, or vision statement, it breaks all the vision statement rules. There's supposed to be like, you know, a few phrases. Um, but I was just, we, we did a seven-week series, and it was just kind of uh, my convictions or my thoughts on the type of community that God was calling us to be. And I've, I've read certain segments from that throughout these weeks. And I, I want to read a few more, and then we're going to zero in on one phrase. The church I see is full of church leaders, pastors, missionaries, teachers, carpenters, doctors, nurses, engineers, parents, and everyone in between that will be equipped and released to bring the kingdom of God to every place their feet walk. As I'm reading this, I want you to think of how important our DNA is to uh, realizing this. The church I see is a refuge for high school students that need a surrogate dad or mom. I see a church that provides hope for junior high students who are being bullied and need someone to pull the gold out of them. When students need to know that they are created in the image of God, made for the family of God, and called for the eternal purposes of God, we will be the church that tells them. And we will, be, we will give the place, the space, and the opportunity to discover their God-given destiny. The church I see provides a refuge for parents. When parents are working two Jobs, when life is full, when bills aren't getting paid and they're just flat out busy and they need people that will love their kids to provide a home away from home, that's going to be our church. It's a church that when having to choose between legacy or luxury is going to choose legacy every single time. The church I see is a church that has mature Christ-following leaders who understand that God is calling them to create a capacity for even greater ministry in the church. The church I see doesn't stop at transaction. It constantly pursues transformation. It doesn't stop at salvation. It knows that salvation was for the purpose of mission, to bring shalom increasingly into this world. The church I see is full of shalom breakers becoming shalom makers. They seek to bring peace between God and others. They are uncompromising on the good news that Jesus Christ is our peace and has made a way for us to live at peace with God. They regularly give opportunity for people to respond to this life-changing truth. Each person is growing in their understanding that they can carry this message of peace with God wherever they go. I see a church where people of all ages and backgrounds are entering into relationship with Jesus for the first time. The church I see is full of people that recognize their status as sons and daughters of God, that this security and identity gives them courage and fortitude to face whatever life throws their way. I see a church of individuals that have been set free from whatever's happened in their past that has prevented them from walking in their identity as a child of God. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but this church will co-labor with God to return what has been stolen, bring to life what has died, and restore what has been destroyed. The church I see is busting at the seams with people that know that know firsthand that intimacy with God leads to passion for God that leads to compassion for others. The church I see recognizes that the love of neighbor is the litmus test for the love of God. 
and it seeks to live with, in shalom with people as far as it depends on them. The church I see recognizes that loving your neighbor extends to fighting issues of systemic injustice in the world. This church recognizes that God created the whole world to be his home, and we will take our responsibility as tenants within it seriously. The church I see recognizes that all creation is groaning and waiting for the sons and daughters of God to step up. This is the church I see. I have this... Um, these words on my wall in my office, and I, I read them regularly. Because uh, I believe it, it articulates the type of people that God is calling us to be. But when I wrote it, it was, it was they were my thoughts, my, you know, my thoughts based on our DNA, who we are, what I sense God calling us to as a community. Uh, but I think we have to ask the question, is this the church that we see? Is this the type of community that we want to be? Is this how we want to see our faith expressed? And I want to focus on one phrase in that whole write-up that I, I, I think summarizes much of what the whole thing's about. Shalom breakers becoming shalom makers. Now, Shalom, there's another, I'm full of big words this morning. There's another big word. What does shalom even mean? Well, it means uh, you know, sometimes Jewish people greet one another with the word shalom. And so it can be seen as just saying hi and bye. Uh, so hi, breakers becoming by makers. That's not what it's meaning. There's, there's a depth behind the word. Uh, shalom, if you dig a little bit deeper, can mean peace. But even the word peace does not quite get to the depths of what this word means. If you go to the very beginning of your Bible, it starts with the book of Genesis. And we've been talking about our story, and our story is part of God's larger story, what he's been doing throughout history and what he continues to do. And if we want to understand the story that we're a part of, we have to understand the story that God has been writing and is writing. That's why we did a sermon series that was 13 weeks long last year called Long Story Short that felt like a very long story in general. But the story begins in Genesis. And you, you know the story of Adam and Eve. God creates man. And the word man uh, in Hebrew is Hadam, which is Adam. And so not only when we read the beginning of the story do we read a story about Adam and Eve I think the biblical writers want us to understand that we're also reading our story. That the story of Adam is a story of Adam. It's a story of humanity. It's a story of you and I. That what happened in the beginning isn't anything different than what continues to happen in my life and your life. And so in the beginning, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so we see this picture right at the beginning of the story, that you and I, male and female, were created in the image of God, which is unique to the rest of creation, that God created a world and a creation that we inhabited, and we were his image bearers. And so we were aligned with God. When people looked uh, at humans, they're supposed to see some kind of reflection of who God is. And this relationship that Adam and Eve and humanity had with God uh, was intended to be 
Shalom was intended to be peaceful, was intended to be united, and that's the picture we see in the Garden of Eden, Eden at the beginning of the story in Genesis. This unity that Adam and Eve had with God, the way it was intended to be. As you read the story, you know that uh, it wasn't just a vertical relationship. There was also um, a relationship and an identity that they had, a security that they had with themselves. So it says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Man, this reminds me of like when my kids were little and they would run around the house naked. And Silas still does that. He's nine years old. But uh, we're still waiting for the shame to kick in. Oh, there, there was, there was, what the story is referring to is that there was just this freedom. There was this, this comfortableness with the way that God created them. They didn't have a need to hide themselves. And so we see in the beginning that this vertical relationship between God and humanity, between God and ourselves, was united. It was, there was shalom. There was peace. And we also see that there was shalom with each other. The, God, the, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So in Genesis 2, it talks about the creation of Eve and that Adam and Eve were created for each other. And there's great unity there, shalom between them in the beginning of the story. And this shalom also extended to the world. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch for it. And then Genesis 2.19, so the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals, the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. And so what the story is referring to is that, that humanity, that Adam and Eve had responsibilities, not just to be united with each other, but to, uh, be, to live in shalom with the world around them. They had responsibility as God's image bearers to manage and steward the world that they had around them. And so we see this horizontal harmony between Adam and Eve themselves and also between them and the world around them. And so this is the picture at the beginning of the Bible. This is the picture of shalom. Shalom is living in harmony, living in peace in all four directions, with God, with self, with neighbor, with world. When the Bible uses the phrase, the kingdom of God... This is what the kingdom of God looks like when God reigns. That things have been restored. Relationships have been restored. That shalom has happened. Now let's look at the next part of the word, the, this phrase. Shalom, what? Breakers. So you have the first two chapters in Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, that give this picture of shalom. And then you have 1,085 other chapters that expand the story. It tells the other side of the story. And we see a foreshadow of it at the beginning of the biblical story. In Genesis 3, when the cool, so, so God told Adam and Eve, uh, eat of all the trees in the garden, be free to eat of any of them, but don't eat from that one. Because God wanted to give them the opportunity to choose to live in shalom with him or not. And so, God never forces us to do anything. He gives us choice. And so we see in the beginning of the story that God gives choice. And they chose to disobey God. And then this, this is what happens. The cool of the evening breeze were blowing. The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, the Adam, 
Where are you? He replied. I heard you walking in. Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So, first point, if you're playing hide and seek, you don't say, I'm here. This is, Adam misses the whole point of hiding. He, he, he just messes it up. But he says, I'm here. I, was, I hid from you. There was a broken relationship that Adam and Eve chose, and they walked away from God, and they hid from God. This is their story, but it's also our story. Genesis 3, verse 7, at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. And so the story is telling us that not only did Adam and Eve break relationship with God, they also actually broke relationships with themselves, that they became aware of nakedness, that they, they actually started to feel shame. They felt the need to hide themselves. They felt the need to, to not expose everything about who they were. And if we think about it even today, that we feel the need often to hide ourselves, to hide our true selves, to pretend to be okay where we're not, to project a certain image of somebody that we would like to be that we're not quite. And so this continues, that we're not actually quite at shalom with ourselves, that we're not all comfortable in our own skin, that we're not all fully living that full life that God designed for us to live. And then we see that Adam, in Genesis 3, he also blames the woman. God says, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. He said, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman. It was her fault. And that's been happening ever since. And the woman says, it wasn't me, it was the serpent. And... This happened at the beginning, this broken relationship between Adam and Eve, and it still happens today. In fact, it's just a part of normal life. You, you do not need to look very far before you can witness the broken relationships between people. It's all around us all the time. Now, I see it all the time in my kids. I want you to watch this video. Um, yeah, just watch it. You want me to write again? Can you tell it uh, that you're on here? Be, it's be, I say hate to from this to Joe because I, he, what, he punched me all the time and he kicked me all the time. So do that on this. So what do I write? You just heard it two times. No, tell me again. Uh, to Joel, uh, this is for you because you always punch us and we cry. So this is for you because you sent that picture to me with my butt sticking out. And that's all. So what do you feel about Joel? Mad. And can you write on here, uh, I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So that was my youngest son quite a few years ago. Um, 
and he is angry. His brothers fight him. They beat him up. Uh, he's always playing the victim. I hate you. Uh, you know, he's trying to get my wife Lisa to write a note on his behalf to let Joel know that, uh, j- just so you know, I hate you. Uh, I'm not sure what picture he was referring to with his butt sticking out. We can't find that picture. But like I said, he has no shame, so that probably wasn't... But I did not have to teach my boys to fight. I didn't have to teach them. They, they, they learned themselves. They chose it themselves. I have to teach them to live in shalom. I have to teach them to get along. But there is a reality to our experience, and it's easy to look at kids and see it, but you know, if we lift our eyes up a little bit and think about our own worlds... We have all sorts of broken horizontal relationships with people that sometimes we've chosen and sometimes other people have chosen and it it affects us. And then we also see here in Genesis 3 that the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And so we see that there is actually broken shalom with humanity and the rest of creation. So this is the biblical story. And that reality of a broken world is not news to us either because we see it all over the place. We see the reality is a broken shalom between people, broken shalom in this world, that humanity has not actually taken responsibility as tenants in God's world seriously. And the kingdom of God actually addresses this issue of lack of shalom in all four directions. So we're shalom breakers. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Every journey towards becoming God's image bearers actually begins with an acknowledgement that I've broken shalom. It begins with a recognition that I've actually walked away from God. I've actually broken shalom with myself, that I, I'm, I don't know who I am, that I need to figure out idea. My identity. It, it, it's an awareness that I've broken shalom with other people. It's an awareness that I've actually neglected my responsibility as God's image bearer to take care of the world around me and to be a participating member in society in a way that honors God and his kingdom. If we are going to move on from this part of the story, we actually have to first acknowledge that we're shalom breakers in some way. And so this is where the good news comes in. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is what the cross does. The cross actually pulls us back into shalom with God. And as we come into shalom with God, we receive identity as sons and daughters of God, that we actually recognize our role to live at peace with other people and our responsibility to steward the authority that God has given us in his creation well. And so we are in the process of becoming, shalom breakers becoming. This is the invitation that Jesus gives us to be somebody different, to, to, to turn from the story that maybe we were living to live a different type of story. And so the journey of becoming is a journey of being a disciple of Jesus, and it's a lifelong journey. And no one has arrived. We're always in a, a process of becoming the people that God created us to be, but uh, you heard us talk about the core four a lot. You know, know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. That's really describing what it looks like for us to become. And I hope you can see there that each one of those steps along the way 
actually is aided by parts of our DNA. So there's our mission. This is where we start. SunWest exists to guide all people into a lifelong, authentic relationship with Jesus. What does that look like? What does that process look like? Well, for people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. And I think we're positioned to do that well as a church because of our story, because of our past story. That we're evangelical, that we believe that God invites every person to know him, to be in a relationship with him. That we're charismatic. We believe that God, it's not just a nice idea, but that his spirit actually wants to set us free so that we can become the people he's called us to be. And then it's not just for our sake, discovering purpose. He actually created us for our faith to be moved into action in the world. And this is part of our Anabaptist history. So he invites us to become, to become shalom makers. Everybody say shalom makers. That's my test just to see if you're still paying attention. Shalom makers. So we just read that passage in 2 Corinthians said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now pay attention to what the next verse says in 2 Corinthians. It says, and he gave us, it's you and I, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So we can see that this the story that starts at the beginning of Genesis, that Jesus actually brings a solution to the good news. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying here that now you actually get to become part of the solution. That God did not do something for you and in you just for you. He actually did it for the sake of the world. He gave us this message of reconciliation. So we're Christ's ambassadors. We're his image bearers. We are going back to the purposes for which he created humanity, to be his representatives in the world, to steward what he's given us well. And God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Why? Because when humanity is reconciled with God, they can actually move forward in shalom in the other three directions. Understanding that we can't lead someone somewhere we haven't been and that becoming is a lifelong journey, we're invited to co-partner with God to help people experience shalom in all four directions. And so to tie a bow on this biblical story, if you don't know the biblical story very well, let me just help you out. This is where it starts. This is where it ends. It starts with shalom in the garden, and it ends in shalom in the city. It's a four-chapter pamphlet beginning and the end. That's my kind of book. That's my kind of story. Four chapters? Come on. Uh, you know, everything in the middle of your Bible is just telling the plot of the story. And it's actually telling, uh, it's, it's giving us an invitation to be a part of the story. But I find it fascinating that the story of the Bible begins in a garden because it's what God creates. We can't create gardens. God creates the garden, but the story ends in a garden city. Who makes cities? Humans do. Humans make cities. And I think that trajectory is important because God starts the story. He starts creation, but he actually, the creation project is not finished until the end of the story when we see this beautiful picture of God living at peace with humanity, that humanity is at peace with themselves, that there's no more war, there's no more tears. This is the end of the story. And now they're actually governing the world that God has given them, and it's this beautiful picture of a garden city that we have a role to play in the story of bringing shalom 
into our world, but it only starts when we experience shalom with God. And so this is the invitation to live out shalom, to experience shalom, to live in right relationship with God, self, others, and the world. And so those are really great ideas. What does this practically mean? What does it mean for us to become shalom makers? Well, at SunWest, we want people to experience peace with God, oneness with God, harmony with God. And we do that Sunday services. You know, our hope is that people encounter the good news of Jesus here, that they are inspired to live their lives in line with Jesus, that they choose to walk in relationship with Jesus. You know, that's why we gather here on Sundays. We have starting point after church every Sunday, and that helps people with some practical starting steps on what does it actually mean to walk out this faith. You know, kids' church, uh, our kids' church ministry is primarily just about kids actually coming into relationship with God. That's the emphasis of our our ministry. And we do Hearing God uh, course every semester where we teach people to hear God's voice. Uh, And then it's not as crazy as you might think it is that God wants to speak to us, that he wants us to speak to him. And every person can have that opportunity to have a relationship and talk with God. That's what it practically means at SunWest for us to live out this aspect of shalom. What about with self? Well, we've talked about this a lot. We have, a, we have something coming up. Uh, we're looking at a spring day, potentially a fall day, but we'll do a set-free weekend, which is a, a weekend of teaching and also prayer ministry where we will help people. This is the set-free weekend. We will help people actually be set free from the things in their past that have maybe hindered them from living out their full identity, their full purpose, which God created them for. We all have that stuff in our lives. I shared a few weeks ago about my journey with pornography and how that was a part of my story that lasted for a long time that hindered me from living more fully into the person that God created me to be and how he set me free from that. But there's other things that he wants to set me free from ongoing. Right? So I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for your story, but there's, there's parts of your story and my story that are actually holding us back, that are holding us captive to becoming who God wanted us to be. And we want to see people set free from those things. Uh, this, ha- this happens also in our groups ministry. We have support groups um, that help in this way. You know, we have uh, addictions groups with people with different types of addictions that they're getting support and community through that. We have, uh, we have a grief share group that, you know, people that have experienced significant loss. You know, this is happening on Sunday nights. You know, how do they uh, continue to... Uh, move forward into the life that God has for them and also deal with the very uh, real reality of, of experiencing significant loss. And those other study groups, we have a, a group happening right now called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which helps people uh, get freedom emotionally to live fully the way God wants them to do. We have a biblical finance group that actually helps people move on from debt because debt financially can be a very real thing that hinders us from living the life of generosity that God's calling us to live. Right, so groups is part of the way that we want to help people experience freedom. We have prayer ministry every Sunday morning. Uh, we had a, a prayer ministry that happened during the week called Sozo, uh, and we are, we are now talking about what does it look like to, uh, to do something uh, similar to that, uh, but in a, in a way that is kind of SunWest created. So uh, that's in process right now. But those are the types of things that we're looking at of how we will practically bring shalom uh, for people uh, in their relationship with self and finding freedom. With others, I talked about groups, but we got lots of other groups beside those that just help people connect with each other. 
Um, getting to know other people, doing life together, not doing life alone. We've heard the talk about teams. The, you know, we, not only doing life in groups, in community, but also beginning to serve. That's what we call our teams here at SunWest, that, uh, that God has not called us just to experience goodness for ourselves, but to also start leading and blessing other people. And we have mentoring, and we call that coaching. Uh, but when you get involved at SunWest and serving, you get involved in coaching and mentoring, and that's an opportunity. We have men's ministry, women's ministry, young adults, youth. Uh, and so these are ways that SunWest is helping people experience shalom in community, horizontally with other people. In the world, I've talked about Mexico. Uh, what did I say last week? We built 130, 32? We've built 132 houses in Mexico on our mission trip that happens every spring break. We have built, uh, I don't know what the numbers are, but we, it's probably around the hundreds. Uh, I know that uh, in El Salvador, but I know that in general, the, the organization we work with in El Salvador has, has built thousands of houses. And so we're building houses in El Salvador, building houses in Mexico. Uh, we are helping with uh, the refugees coming from Myanmar and Burma uh, through a ministry called Partners uh, that is based out of Thailand. And so these are awesome uh, causes that we feel at SunWest that God has called us to be a part of uh, in helping bring shalom uh, into the world around us. And so there's a, just a quick map that we can't do everything. As a church, there's no way that we can do everything, but we want to be available to do what God has called us to do. And so you kind of see the locations there on the map, um, where we are and the places in the world uh, that God has called us to practically help bring shalom. Uh, and locally... We, we've talked about the need to have a local anchor cause. So we, we as a church community, it's great that we're doing stuff in Mexico, El Salvador, Burma, Thailand. But what about here in Calgary? What is God calling us to be about here in Calgary, very practically in the world around us, in the communities around us? We're trying to create more community engagement. That's why we do the stuff like the PD Day camps, the, um, the, the movie night, involvement in the local high schools. Uh, and we want to see... We want to see... The, us moving forward, uh, not just in the places in other countries, uh, but doing that in a very practical way that meets some felt needs here in our city. So what might that look like? We have an ELL program that's helping uh, people, refugees that are new to Canada, uh, find a home here, learn, learn the language. Maybe it looks more like that. Uh, we're, we're in a process of figuring out and discerning what that might mean locally, uh, but I think God's opening a lot of neat opportunities for that. And, and I use the word vocation here because... Uh, the other thing that this looks like in my mind is every person that's a part of our faith community living out their shalom in whatever world that you are a part of. Right, so there's obviously corporate things that we will do as a church. But you have a coffee shop you go to every day. You have a school you go to. You have a workplace you go to. What does it mean for you and I to actually be shalom carriers, to be image bearers, to be God's ambassadors to the places that we go every single day? What does it mean for you and I to be shalom breakers that are in the process of becoming shalom makers? So I just want to close here before we sing a last song together with a couple of questions that I would like you to reflect on. First, have you broken shalom? Why don't you just close your eyes for a minute as I ask these questions. Have you broken shalom with God? You know, 
is the story of Adam and Eve. Is, can you feel that part of your story that you've actually broken shalom? You've walked away from God, that you've turned your back on him, that you've closed your heart to him, that you've maybe lived in a way that he's asked you not to live because he has a better way for you to live. Have you broken shalom with others? Or you've hurt others? Maybe on purpose, maybe by accident, but there's been a breaking that's happened. In our world, have you ignored the responsibility that God's given you to actually be his light in this world? Have you broken shalom? I think if all of us are honest, we could say yes to that question. Are you engaging? Here's my second question. Are you engaging in the process of becoming? Are you saying, hey, that breaking is part of my story, but it's not my whole story? And I actually want to start being the type of person that I believe God created me to be. And so I'm going to engage in this process of becoming. Which means actually following Jesus. Giving my life to Jesus, following him in the way that he wants me to live. Receiving his forgiveness, his grace, his love. There's another question. Are you co-partnering with God to help bring shalom in all four spheres of life? So maybe those first two questions, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm in the process of becoming, but it's actually you haven't engaged and started to move out to be a shalom carrier, to be a shalom maker. The story God wants to tell in your life and in your world is one of shalom, and this is the invitation that Jesus invites every single one of us to. So receive shalom, grace, forgiveness, peace with God. You can begin that process at any time by asking God to forgive you, by choosing to follow him, and then as you do that, we partner with him to give it away. To be shalom makers. We invite you to stand as we sing this final song. Let me just pray as we head into the song. Lord, I thank you that you know the story of our church. But I thank you, Lord, that you know the story of, you know, our individual stories. Lord, I thank you that as each of us gather together, that you are not unaware of where we've broken shalom with you, where we've hidden in shame, where we have broken shalom with other people, where we have hurt others, where we've been angry, where we've been unforgiving, where we have hold bitterness and resentment and Lord, I thank you that you're not unaware of the places in our personal lives that hold us back from living freely. The, the addictions, uh, the habits, the self-destructive choices that we make. And Lord, I thank you that you are not unaware of how we've maybe become selfish and then neglected our responsibility to um, help care for other people in the world that you've put us in. But Lord, more than that, we thank you that the story didn't end there. We thank you that you were in Christ reconciling the world to yourself and you invite us back to a place of shalom, at peace with you. And Lord, I pray that we uh, would walk into that, that we would receive that forgiveness and that we would move forward being the types of people you created us to be, to not only um, not break shalom, but also to be shalom makers. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I'm just going to...
invite the band to continue to play. The prayer teams will be available at the front after service. If you'd like prayer for anything going on in your life, we would love to pray for you. And we just invite you to live out that story. Shalom breakers becoming shalom makers. To, to own it where we've broken shalom and to not be okay with it. And then to invite God to rewrite your story to become the person he created you to be. And then to live out your purpose wherever God's placed you in your families, your workplaces. He's pouring out his love and his grace and forgiveness on us so that not just for us, it is for us, but it's also for us to begin to give away in the world around us. So bless you as you be shalom makers uh, where you go this week. We'll see you next week.